Hey everybody, I'm Kevin. And I'm Kayla. We love movies. And talking about them. This is the Martini Window with such credits as the TV series The Flash, the TV series Cedar Cove, and the first night of the museum. Welcome everybody, Mr. Neil McBride. Neil, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, thank you. That's very kind. Uh, Neil, so tell us a little about yourself. Well, you too. Uh, I've crossed paths with you many times on the film sets out there, but I have been a film technician for close to 27 years. I was a grip for 14 years, so on the first night at the museum, I was a dolly grip. Um, and if you IMDb me, you'll see there's a couple categories, and there's one where there's a great picture of me pushing Mr. Sean Levy on a dolly. Uh, <laughs> director of the and, new deadpool movie yeah right directing the new deadpool yeah yeah so jealous you know i had such hopes of it uh, coming back but hey uh well supposedly vancouver i mean they've been saying in the trades that we're supposed to be getting the exteriors so oh good good yeah yeah well, so you know there's something to be i mean just to get some mcu over in vancouver right i, I mean, completely agree i mean it's van city ryan's movie so yeah it's literally in his name. I know. It is. It, it's it's in the, it's in his DNA for God's sake. So come on. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. Now, Neil, uh, you, myself, and Kayla, we both know you from our time working on The Flash for the last several years, uh, where yes. I got to know you quite well. But in that time, you started working on some of your own solo stuff with Mr. Josh Bradford, who we've had on the show before. He was actually on yeah. our first episode. Uh, yes. And. With Mr. Cam Scott Trask. You've recently been having some festival success with you guys short. And you got a new one coming out, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so uh, a brief history. Cam and Josh were talking and I was like, what are you guys talking about? And as you do on film sets. And uh, they're like, we're, we're thinking of shooting short. I'm like, I want to produce it. And I just butted in and barged in and said I wanted to do it. Um, I produced a couple rock videos back in the day for a band called Left Spying Down. Local Vancouver. Oh, oh, I love Left Spine Down. Oh, love well, there the you go. Yeah, actually, yeah. Kayla, Kayla knows one of the bad numbers too. Do you know Kane? Yeah. Yes, I went to the Netherworld uh, local Burning Man event on the island on a bright pink bus with him as one of the passengers. She oh. has also been to Burning Man though. <laughs> oh, we're gonna have to. Well, that's an episode right there. Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, Kane's wonderful. So a buddy of mine who I used to grip with, who I gripped with on Tron and um, various other movies, um, is a very skilled DP when he wants to, but he works, uh, he uh, works like grip usually in feature land. So Troy was like, I'm going to shoot two rock videos for my friends and you're going to produce it and, and be craft service and transportation and wardrobe and grip and lighting and this and that. And here's the list again for me. So we shot two videos. We found two great locations. One of them was actually a cover of a Joy Division song, which I was very uh, excited about. She's lost to Troll. But um, anyway, Troy's done some great work, and we did that. So I have uh, was in on The Flash, always anxious to try something new with friends. So um, I butted in and said I want to produce because it's a different avenue i've wanted to explore and it's been a lot of fun and we have had success you know josh has been very very busy with it and he's wonderful that way because he is a, a mover and a shaker while i have had to pump the brakes a little bit because i had a baby five months ago so yes you did congratulations yeah, by the you. way thank you guys 
So that's why, luckily, you gave me this time because we had to wait for baby to go to bed. So thank you, you two, for doing this. Oh, uh, no worries. In case anyone's not aware, we normally record Sunday mornings uh, and Sunday afternoons. We're currently doing this at, uh, well, it's currently quarter after eight on a Monday night. <laughs> we wanted to make sure to help out Neil here and, and get him on you the show. Your, you got their angels. Angels. Oh, well, thank you yeah. kindly. Yeah. So today... Uh, the movie you picked was an absolute classic, Paul Verhoeven's 1987 capitalist satirical nightmare of a classic, yes. RoboCop, starring yes. Peter Weller and Red Foreman himself, Kurtwood Smith. Oh, he was beautiful in the movie. He's just beautiful. Well, I mean, it's it's very easy to say for a man who's always looked exactly that age. Uh, <laughs> He's timeless, you could you could remake this movie again now and still cast him. Yeah, you could cast him and change nothing about his character. Yeah. 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 So, uh, let's let's dive into this. So, tell us why you wanted to go with RoboCop. Not that I have any complaints. Yeah, and you know what's funny, Kevin, is I was listening to your chat with Chelsea, and you said something which I completely agree with because you. You were discussing, you said something like the quote was like, well, there's only one movie that's absolutely perfect and it's Back to the Future. And I was like, that's the movie I thought of, which is pretty much the perfect movie. But um, yeah, but uh, I saw Robocop when I was like 14 was blown away because I was like, this is just so over the top and I absolutely love it. And as I've gotten older, I still joke about it with friends who've seen it. Um the effects for the time I loved, and I just watched it a couple days ago just to refresh it because I watch it yearly, and I was like, you know, I, I love that little stop motion stuff they had, and uh, and just the lines in it, like so many great lines that still to the day. I have a coworker named Bob, and I'm like, can you fly, Bobby? Which is one of the lines in the movie that Kurt said when he throws the guy out of the back of the car. Like, just stuff that has stuck with me, and it's... Uh, yeah, for me, it's. I've a, used it's a real... uh, I've used I'd buy that for a dollar for so oh, many wait, right? So many times at work before I show something to a director, that was my line going back to the animators. Yeah, I'd buy that for a dollar. I'll show them right away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, we're a... waiting, Kevin. We're waiting, and you're like, yeah, just give me a second. Give me a second. <laughs> I got a quote. Hold on, I got a quote. <laughs> I have uh, had a director ask me like how long a costume change is going to take and it's three minutes away I've actively just dropped it I'll give you the well in three minutes right <laughs> oh, and it worked <laughs> it, it worked he laughed and wasn't mad yeah that's the thing if you can deflect with some form of reaction that's positive I think you're going to be okay most of the time I, I have think been so I have been in the crosshairs back in the Dolly days where I am literally trying to level a low, a um, a leveling head low mode with literally a DP and a camera operator just yelling at me from both sides. And I just kept my head down, made a joke and said, okay, I'm done. And they're like, oh, okay, great. Let's go. But you just got to go. That's what we do, guys. That's what we do. We just keep the, the, the momentum going. <laughs> So exactly. I want to start off here. You were saying you saw RoboCop the first time at 14 years old. Now, did you see this in the theater at 14 years old? Well, so, and if so, what movie did you pay buy a ticket to to sneak into RoboCop? But, nicely, nicely done, sir. Very, very good. No, so <laughs> what we used to do is growing up, there was a theater called the Hollywood Theater on Broadway in Kitsilano in sunny Vancouver, Canada, and they had the Daily Show, the Daily. Um, sorry the double bill friday and saturday nights for five bucks and like 
I grew up there because A, we were underage. So what do we do? Let's go to movies. And they always had like, it was like, you know, it was like Lost Boys and uh, like Terminator 2 or something. Completely wrong era. But like the double bills were always top notch. It was like, I saw Aliens there for the first time. I saw Robocop there for the first time because they didn't ID anybody. They didn't care. Just as long as you paid, you were in. Because it was basically, you know, you'd get it six months later or a year later there at that point. Uh, so Hollywood so, Theater at this time was a second run theater, you're saying? Correct. And right. uh, God, man, I saw everything. Full Metal Jacket, Lost Boys, um, Garbage Fair, Romance, just whatever was whatever. there. We didn't care. It was just the place to go. And But that's, that's what you did we, back we got, then, man. Like. We're the like obviously you and I are different generations, but I mean, uh, I mean, Kayla and I were were effectively one of the last generations that didn't have like this instantaneous media that we have nowadays. Yeah, so yeah. that's what you did though. You went the. I mean, Kayla, you told me a story about how you saw hairspray like what seventeen times. Yes, <laughs> I. Uh, I went to university at a, a little town um, or a little city, I believe, called uh, Ipswich in uh, Queensland. Yeah. And I was at the only university there. It was a very small city. It was a, like a 15-minute bus ride just to get to the university and then another hour train ride back to my house. So when I had split classes during the day, I would just go to the theater with my friends. And yeah. then we just kept watching Hairspray. I think the every time they saw us come in, they would roll their eyes. And we eventually <laughs> just... Yeah. we. We spent an overnight, an overnight learning the Corny Collins dance, and I think some people were scared. Nice. Yeah. You're like, I can do it better than you people. And they were like, hey, what? <laughs> what? When did they learn this coordinated dance? Aren't they meant to be working on their education? Yeah, exactly. They're like, they're, they're, they're super fans. They're back again. Oh, that, what you're telling me about Hollywood theater, that's because uh, that's actually a little live venue nowadays, eh? I know I'm dying to go and see a live show there because I've heard great stuff about the sound there, and it was always a beautiful little theater. It's a really nice live theater. I saw Magic Sword with uh, Dance with the Dead there, and it was quite good. Um, Yeah, I remember uh, I wanted to go see K-Flay there, and I think uh, I got tickets for it, but then this weird thing happened where the whole world shut down. Oh Oh, yeah, (laughs) did you hear about that? Yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, I've read about that. I've seen it on the old YouTube. Ah, uh, I'm, I'm sure it never happened. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so RoboCop. So yes. Tell us more. So you saw this at 14. You saw it at the theater at the Hollywood, at the second Hollywood theater. It was a double bill. Uh, yeah. They never ID'd because they're probably stoned at the front window or just didn't care because it was that era. Um, yep. All right. So time, this, was still, this was still the late 80s. This was still yes. an era of just like whatever. RoboCop came out in 87. So yeah, I probably saw it in 88, 80, probably 88. Okay. It came out the year I was born. I'm yeah, old. right. And another great reason. Another great year, right? <laughs> so now, this movie's got a lot to offer. Like for someone like yourself, like what was the effect that it left on you? Like why? Like why is it today you're asking about you're 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 choosing RoboCop? You know what I mean? Because that was a great era of movies to be going yes. to the theater for constantly. Yeah. And... Yeah. Uh, because, um, well, it just stuck with me because. A, I'm a comic book guy, so I love that it was this hero who literally had a costume, a uniform. It was to right. me, it was like the beginning but, of that era that, because when did when did Keaton's Batman come that, out? 88, 89? 89. Yeah. So like that, we, uh, we hadn't begun that, that level little, yet. So for me, I was like, he's in an outfit. 
you know, like, because my <laughs> heroes were still Schwarzenegger, who was just in a tank top and camo pants, right? Because Predator had probably yeah. just come out at that time, too. And I was like, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen, because I was a young teenager and just wanted to see. It's also a great movie. Shot. And it's, it's a great movie. Predator is way up there with me. And that has it's... some dynamite oh, lines from Jesse Ventura, like, sure. just, oh, stick with me. And that's the thing, there was just, it's. I think with with film, television, anything like that, that that has something that sticks with you, then you're going to have a fondness for it. And for me, it was always just like there was just a couple lines of RoboCop that were just so silly, but just so great. You know, I buy that for a dollar, and there's a scene where um, where um, Dick Jones has just given Boddicker a whole whack of new weapons to take down RoboCop. So the guy, remember the guys are on the street yeah. shooting their new huge rifles and they're blowing up everything. And he and destroys one, his, uh, he destroys the guy's car because he can't let him not have left. anything nice. That's right. <laughs> he's like, come on, Clarence. But, um, you know, he just goes, the guy in the, the motorbike guy, the guy in the, uh, in the motorcycle jacket, he's like, oh, I like it. Like just like that that just stuck with me that i would occasionally yell out as a silly young teenager walking down the street if i saw something i liked or you know i buy that for dollars still one and just there's you know um and just the performances i look because back to kerwood smith just like every line he says is just almost fantastic and, it, and it's just and the for me also the fact that it was so extreme like it was so violent oh it does not uh, hold back whatsoever no so and, i was just uh, like what the hell is this right and of course that was a uh that was the sort of thing with the movie that obviously didn't really hold on after the first movie for a while yeah totally i also i also feel like the ultra violence of the movie works really well with the cynicism of like all the advertisements how everybody is just so like Yes. disenfranchised with society no one sees anyone as a person anymore it's all about yeah. like just buying things and when you just have this ultra violence that nobody is reacting to yeah and they just commit to it in such a straight way yeah and you know the um yeah the for me i was i i love the fact that there was just so many degrees of the violence too because there's just like okay you got the classic guns a lot of machine guns which is great but you know like robocop punching through a wall, pulling a guy through a wall, and then one punching him through a window because he's holding the mayor hostage. And he's like, you know, I want a car with really shitty gas mileage. And just like, you know, just lines like that, which are comedic, but also so extreme of what's happening action-wise. And then, of course, and, like... And then on. later on, sorry, and then later on, they actually throw in an ad for the car that he was exactly. talking about. Yeah. And it's a dinosaur. Uh, You're like, yeah, that's that makes sense. It's a piece of junk. <laughs> and the car is called FUX. It sucks. But that's Detroit. And that's also part of the whole decay of Detroit. And the industry's dying in there. And yeah, yeah. Thank God they need Robocop there to save Detroit, old Detroit. Like, um, and back to the degrees, like the uh the effects in it too. Like Paul Well or um Phil Weller, Pardon oh, me? Peter Weller. Peter uh, Weller, the his, guy. yeah, his 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 outfit is. I loved his outfit when he first came in, and just the noise of just the footsteps and everything. And um, I love the scene where the motorcycle guy drives into the toxic waste. 
and then he's all <laughs> feeling and melting like i was like this is magic as a 14 15 year old i was like this has everything i need and then they drive over <laughs> me explodes all over the windshield you're just like yeah this is the best so Appar uh, apparently with that scene that was the favorite scene from the test screening oh really that, that was that was what the test audience is like this is the best scene in the movie oh that's so funny well just his you know death what? scene it, yeah it stuck with me and then that guy went on to saying elsewhere or not saying elsewhere sorry um I guess it was ER or one oh. doctor medical series for years and years. And I was like, wait a minute. That's the explosion. I like it, guys. So, you know, actors, they can do everything. They can cover all bases. <laughs> um, oh, man. No, I think it's yeah. kind of hard to talk about the 19, uh, talking about a movie like Robocop without really understanding like Pulver Hoven and kind of what he was going at the time, going for at the time, too. Like, this has been referred to as the beginning of his unofficial. Uh, dystopian trilogy, uh, starting with RoboCop, then Total Recall, and then Starship Troopers. Yeah, and he's referred to this as uh, it's been referred to as unofficial dystopian trilogy because it shows different levels of a dystopian future in one sense or another. Yeah. One thing that becomes really clear is, uh, I mean, you got Paul Verhoeven bringing his very European sensibilities to America for this movie. Yeah, uh, you know, I think he was one that decided that the violence has to be so over the top because, in his words, it makes it funnier. <laughs> yeah. I love that, but yeah. uh, but then of course you have just like Kayla was looking up earlier some of the people here, and it's just you know you have just masters of the effect. Like you're talking about the effects, and you really really can't talk about this movie without it because you got like uh, Rick Bolton, you got um, yeah. you got Bo yeah. what was it Rob Bo Rob Bowden, you got Phil Tippett. We actually just went to go see Jurassic Park at the theater today, and uh, Phil Tippett was of course the dinosaur supervisor on that you had one job sir yeah. um yeah. but it's like you guys these powerhouses of the era of special effects working yeah. on this uh and then to have somebody like paul verhoeven who has a european sensibility to his filmmaking to really actually take the time to allow the effects to breathe and allow the effects to make the move like what you're saying with that, that kind of subtle stop motion effect with it is, is a nature of the era but you know, it works so well in the world that he makes and in the visuals that he creates. You know, he takes these, for lack of better words, kind of campy aspects, but makes them just feel so real. Like he's taking them as, you know, they're being taken as seriously as he would any other story. Oh, I know. And, you know, that's, to me, I was, I realized it's a God 30-year-old film, but I'm like, still looks good. I still appreciate it. Compared to some of the effects you see today, too, you're just like, yeah, like I was watching like a, a Brian De Palma Brian documentary Brian. recently, and he was talking about uh, effects, and he was just like, you know, uh, effects—they uh, just they'll blow up something, blow up, and an engine will fly into your him. window, and then the next day I watched Air yeah. Force One, yeah. and Air Force One Air goes Force. down, and the engine blows up right into the screen, right. and I was like, Brian De Palma Brian. knew, oh. he was way ahead of the. Uh. <laughs> so, Absolutely, yeah. And um, I have a, I have a little story for you guys regarding RoboCop, and this is another reason it's so sensitive to me. Um, many years ago, I was out and about downtown Vancouver. I had some drinks, and I went to the um, Gerard Lounge where all the actors go. And I was like, who's going to be in the Gerard Lounge tonight? Let's see. So I walk in, and there is Miguel Ferreira. Miguel Ferrer in RoboCop is the guy who helps develop RoboCop. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he's and he's got some 
fucking fantastic. Sorry, he's got sorry. some wonderful dialogue in that movie because he's just a <laughs> young brass guy who doesn't care. He's not scared of Dick Jones. He's he's cocky. What? So funny, and um, and another thing for me too is there was so much swearing in that movie. Like as a young guy, I'm like, this is awesome. But um, see Miguel Ferreira, and I just walk up to him. I'm like, Mr. Ferreira, I'm sorry. Sorry, I don't. I, I you know, I hate to say this, but RoboCop is one of my favorite movies. I, I'm tr I don't want to be offensive and winning. I hope I'm not insulting you, but I to me it's just one of my favorite movies. I think it's so great. He's like, dude, what's your name? I go, it's Neil. He's like, Neil. No offense at all. If it wasn't for RoboCop, I could not get a job. And after RoboCop, my phone lit up and I've been working ever since. So no offense at all. And I was like, awesome. I love you and I love that movie. So even what RoboCop did, it helped everyone out. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's awesome. Actually, that, uh, the movie also parlayed uh, into Total Recall itself. Oliver Hoven was able to use the high box office to be able to pitch his next movie, which uh, with obviously with Arnold Schwarzenegger for Total Recall. Oh, there. right. Well, now, they were they were trying to get Schwarzenegger in, but they're like he can't fit in these suits. Yeah, and you know what, Schwarzenegger would have changed the effect of it. Like, I agree. Peter Weller's I, a damn good actor. <laughs> oh yeah, and so, also I like that he was a regular sized guy. Like he was still yes. very brave and a police officer, but he right? was a regular guy. He wasn't like Superman, you know. Yeah, yeah. and that's I think another I, thing which gives it a little bit more. Pardon the pun, but realism, because you're like, he's this skinny guy who somehow survives <laughs> getting assaulted by four shotguns that get unloaded on him. But oh, and, and a the bullet in the head, the somehow. bullet in the head. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it, you're, you're right. It, I think if Schwarzenegger wasn't there, you would have been like, yeah, that's Arnold. But who knows? Maybe Arnold was still done, still shooting um, uh, Predator at the time. I don't know. But oh, I was reading knows. up on I was reading up on RoboCop and the woman who plays his partner, uh, Nancy Allen. Nancy Allen, who, who I didn't know was married to Brian De Palma. He's like, oh yeah, I was Wait, married. What? Yeah, really? They were married for like eight or nine years. Holy crap! Wow. Yeah, because he she's her she he uses her in two or three of his movies. Wait, she's in Blowout. Wow. She's in uh, I don't think she's in Car she's in Carrie okay. uh, as one of the girls, what? and she's in something else of his. But um, oh my god. Yeah, they said there was they were going to use this woman named Stephanie Zimbalist. And to those of people out there who are my age, I am 50. Yeah. Stephanie Zimbalist played um um she played uh she was on Remington Steel. And she was the lead woman on uh Remington Steel. And Remington Steel to me is a uh, it also is close to my heart. Remington Steel of course the early Pierce Brosnan NBC series which ran for years which cost Pierce Brosnan Two James Bond movies because NBC wouldn't release them, so they had to bring Correct. In, until uh, until uh, Chris until it wasn't Christopher no it was until Christopher Columbus had worked with them on uh, Mrs Doubtfire, yeah yes and recommended him to uh, the Broccoli family after Timothy Dalton had left the role and he got his oh, name, because he talked to him about because he talked to him on the set of that movie about how he had uh, had missed out of the chance and he got to work with Pierce Brosnan and ended up using that as an opportunity to be like. You know, hire him. <laughs> Go make Golden Eye. Yeah, uh, yeah. We actually just watched Mrs. Doubtfire. We did an episode of Mrs. Doubtfire coming up pretty soon. Actually, that's that was Great. a tidbit that we talked about in there too. Can't wait. Uh, oh, thank you. Um, you know, one thing I got to say about this movie is, and I love this about Paul Verhoeven. I always love how 
adept he is at satire and commentary uh, without ever turning his heel on it. Yeah. Like, you're watching this movie at the same time that you are watching a corporate thriller and you're watching people try to cutthroat each other in the boardroom. And yeah. you're wa- and it's all, but the product is literally a person. The product yeah. are people. And it's like that the concept that Paul Verhoeven thought, yeah, I don't see it. I don't see, uh, see it hard to believe that we basically privatized most of our police force. Like, it's... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and, you know, just that very idea. And so this whole movie where it's like the thing is that I love about those, that all the aspects about the corporate thriller stuff, the whole, you know, uh, the backroom dealings, all that. It's yeah. so effective because it's never winking at the audience about what it is. Yeah. It's literally those scenes could be a scene from Wall Street or something like that. But it just oh, yeah. happens to be Omnicorp talking about the Robocop project. I love yeah. that you actually brought up that scene because. As a costumer, something I noticed in the first board scene where you're introduced to Dick in that is he is the only person in that room wearing red. And he's wearing oh. an entirely gray suit. Yes. So you're like, this guy is evil and morally gray. A lot of yeah. the people in there are wearing gray suits and very like yeah. murky kind of colors. And yeah. I mean, it, it's should... a small detail, but I noticed it immediately because it, it tells you who the people are. Yeah. yeah, and they all are. They're all just puppets there, and just like mm-hmm, yep, mm-hmm, agreeers, except for a good old, um, good old uh, Miguel there, uh, who's just okay. like, I'm waiting for my chance. I'm waiting for my chance. And then of course the poor schmuck who uh, works for the company there, and they yeah. use him yeah. as an example uh, with uh, Ed 209, and they're like, yeah, but... point the gun at Ed 209 there, and everything's going to be okay. <laughs> Right. You have ten seconds to comply. Yeah, exactly. And to, <laughs> and to me, as a kid too, I, uh, being a a sci-fi fan, I, I was like, "This is amazing." There's a robot, <laughs> and of course, the action in it, uh, and you know, the humor in it, and and um, I and I'm going to throw this off for one second. Have you guys ever seen the comedy skit that they've done where? I can't remember who it is, but you know the scene where the two guys attack the girl and they're cutting her hair and then Robocop shoots her through the dress, Oh, right? yeah, okay, so this actually isn't even a comedy sketch. Um, uh, this is actually a, fe- a feature-length remake of Robocop. So, this is, I trust me on this. So, when the movie, when the Robocop remake was coming out in 2014, a group of filmmakers across the internet banded together to create what was called our Robocop remake. It was a crowdsourced remake of Robocop where each team of filmmakers got a different scene. So, yeah. so the guys who got, you know, some people would do it where, like, they did the whole scene in Lego. What? Some would do the whole scene in stop <laughs> Really? Frame. Some would do it in just, like, sweated, you know, like, uh, be wow. kind of rewind style. Then the guys who got the scene where they shoot the guy in the dick, yeah. um, they ended up putting some money into it. And as you could tell, they got pretty close on the set design and on the oh, cinematography yeah. and everything. Um, but only for what you're talking about to happen afterwards. Where it's not just yeah. one guy getting shot in the dick. It's yeah. another guy getting shot in the dick. And then other people taking other women with their dicks out to get shot. And it's just like, I mean, is he shooting at like 50 freaking people? Yeah, <laughs> it just keeps going on and on and on. But my friend but, showed it to me on set and I was dying in the corner. Like, do not mean? laugh. Do not laugh. This but, is serious. Yeah. They're blocking. Talk. And, uh, you yeah. know, just the classic. Like, oh, check this out. And I was just like immediately yeah. sucked in because I like, ooh, oh, Robocop. Oh. And then it was like the... Penis after penis after penis getting blown to bits. I was like, <laughs> this is magic, whoever did this. So, and I love that. I love the fact that people do cinema like that. Like, 
bring it on bring it on oh yeah it's, it's fantastic i love i personally i'm a big fan of the crowdsource remake uh fan concept uh, there's been a few that i see and they're pretty fun that's one of them though and it's the whole movie front to back is uh is remade by individual oh, really? filmmakers around the world yeah yeah i gotta see this man oh you got to. it's fantastic it's really like cool. I want to see the Lego scenes. The Lego scenes? I mean, yeah. the whole thing's pretty fun to watch. Um, yeah. But, you know, go back to what I was saying about a lot of the commentary on this. So it's like, what Paul Verhoeven was trying to say about capitalism at the time and about the authoritarian government, I mean, there's a lot of movies that you see this kind of blend into. I mean, Caleb pointed out when you're watching the movie that there's very similar influence on the film Dread from 2012. Uh, Which comes... I love. Yeah, fantastic yeah. movie. And Paul Verhoeven has never been somebody to really keep, like I said, keep that nuance, you know. Uh, Even some of the shots in Dread and the way they frame Judge Dread is very similar to Robocop, like going, like oh, yeah. the way he moves, the the way he oh, yeah. emotes. It's there's a lot of similarities, and I saw Robocop as a kid and I loved it, but I didn't realize how much influence I could see in Dread. Yeah, or like yeah, the fact and- that go on. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and you were probably going to say, too, that the writers literally gave Verhoeven Dread, Judge Dread comics and were like, this is what we want. And, you know, like, there's a very, maybe it's just I me. actually didn't know that. Did not know that. Uh, yeah, and the Judge Dread, um, Judge Dread <laughs> helmet <laughs> and Robocop's helmet, kind of similar, you know? Yeah. Well, maybe I, no. I had no idea about that. It's very yeah, fascinating. Okay. Yeah, and that's one thing too. Yeah. The writer I was reading up about it too. The writer Rigor. was on the set the whole yeah. time, and him and Verhoeven would be like, "Hey, what do you think about this?" Like they would improvise what? with the actors, and like yeah. when Kurtwood Smith put the gum on the girls, uh, on the secret on Dick Jones's secretary's uh, uh, name tag there, and he just goes, "You can keep that." <laughs> and she's just like, "Great!" Like, and Kurtwood Smith was so yeah. Back to the Kurtwood Smith, brilliant work by Kurtwood. And, um, yeah. you know, the, the, the scene where he spits like, blood when Robocop blood, brings him blood, in and goes, what's the charge? He goes, he's a cop killer. And then he spits on the uh, piece of paper and he goes, just give me my call. Oh, like, they were like, that was improvised. And the writer sat there like, yeah, do whatever. Make your goal happen. Oh, my God. That is really cool. I mean, Kerbert Smith is menacing in this movie. And being the age I was, I first knew him as Red Foreman. So when I first saw this movie... Uh, it was a different. It was a different way of seeing him, especially because there was that dissonance of the fact that he looked the exact same as he did in that '70s show, basically. So there wasn't really that much. Di- there was a little bit of dissonance to that, but uh, no, he was menacing in this. And Clarence Bodiger, like the level of intensity they allowed him to have, they didn't. Uh, they didn't need him to have any sort of like uh, no retribution, no anything like that. Which was also really cool about this era of movie villains. I found is that they were not afraid in this era of uh, movies to let villains just be villains. We've kind of fallen into this trap nowadays where they feel like they feel like in a lot of movies that villains need to have a turn to uh, sorry. They need a sad backstory for why. Yeah, right. It has to be a sadly justified backstory, or it has to be that they have a heel turn at the end, or right? you know something yeah. like that. But what I love is that they can introduce this movie with this guy. Uh, shoot, you know, shooting a cop's hand off for fun. And the last time that you see him in this movie, he has not changed anymore, aside from the fact that he has more weapons now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it, it doesn't matter if his co- if his uh, henchman dies. He's like, whatever. We got to keep going. Yeah, he's getting paid. Yeah, exactly. Well, he's got a dream, you know, and that's drugs and prostitution of uh, New Detroit. Which yeah, I'm going to give him. You can't deny a dream, you know what I mean? You can't deny the guy has goals. <laughs> 
Guy yeah, has goals. Exactly. <laughs> and, and back to Dick Jones there, um, uh, Ronnie Cox, he is, he, because he's Mr. Sunshine. He's always the nice man. He's the, he's the, the dad or the priest or whatever. So in this movie, seeing him just be this evil, evil bastard, and he was just, he was great. And he, and he even said, he's like, I loved it. It was so fun. My character was just pure evil the whole time. Everything that came out of my mouth was pretty much evil. So it was great. And that's another thing, the, the simplicity of RoboCop. It's the good guys versus the, the good guy versus the bad guy. So, and luckily he's got um, his partner there, Miss, uh, Miss Allen there to give him a hand there. And Lewis. Yeah. To give him a hand. You know, so, I will say too, with, uh, with a lot of that, like, yeah, it's, it's it's bad guys from bad guys. And with Dick Jones, you know, the one thing that I found, the one line of his that really stands out to me is when he's talking to, uh, oh my God, the name escapes me right now, the guy who, he kills him, you know, the creator of yeah. the Robocop. Yeah. Uh, but when he does that, though, he's complaining back. He's like, oh, well, your head 209 never worked. You know, who cares if it never works properly? A few people die, but we have, or a few people get killed, and we have a lifetime supply of, uh, lifetime supply of repairs to sell. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. even when he's talking about something that's literally supposed to be albeit an ultra version of protecting the streets. He's still doing it solely, like knowing full well, people are going to die so we can make a little extra money even on top of it. And it's just, that is so disgusting to me, but it's perfect for, yeah. what, for what Paul Verhoeven is trying to say with this movie. Like yeah. no death too much, nobody too far. The fact alone that when you sign up as an officer with a, uh, with the police force, you have a contract with Omnicorp that they get told the rights to your body when you die. Like what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what you a... know, it goes back to uh, what you were saying too about the. Uh, well, it, it it to me it kind of represents also the beginning of the corporate greed, which you really start as a young man, being a fourteen, fifteen year old, you start seeing that on the news because the mega corporations were starting to become of that. The Reaganomics were kicking in, and which this movie is a huge criticism of Reaganomics as a whole. Really, it's a total takedown of it. Yeah, and uh, you know, like Lee Iacocca High uh, or Lee Iacocca Elementary School, you're like, oh yeah, I know who that guy is. He owns uh, Ford or whatever, and and you know, you the fact he used stuff like that, but also was kind of opening the eyes for uh, many people about corporate lifestyles, maybe. But to me, uh, it was uh, it was done beautifully, and Caleb. Taylor said it beautifully too with the gray suits. Everyone's the gray suit. No one wants to say no. It was the yes sir, yes sir era. Yeah. And I uh, mean, world there. And I, I also uh, felt that when Dick murdered uh, murdered uh, the other corporate guy, what was his name? Oh, God. What is his name? The guy who created the Robocop. Well, we'll re record that bit. <laughs> I know I'm embarrassed to say I cannot remember. I'm so embarrassed. We'll start that again. Uh, Morton. Ed, Morton. Thank you. But uh, when when Dick kills Morton, because Morton's established not even to be a good guy, I actually don't feel that bad for him. The only people I feel bad for are like Murphy and his partner, because they seem to be the only good people. And yes. maybe the police chief has an inkling of good, but he's just yeah. been living in the city for so long, he's not allowed to say anything. But I mean, yeah. also mean, uh, I mean, it's very clear the police chief is muzzled in this movie. But oh, the, for uh, sure. 
Oh, yeah, but Morton, I feel like, represents the slightly lesser of two evils in this scenario. Yeah. I, I mean that by the fact that Morton sucks. Don't get me wrong. I oh, wanted yeah. him to die, but yeah. I'm also just saying I don't think I necessarily <laughs> needed Dick Evans to be Dick Jones to be the one who kills him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't and, feel like that was his right. You know what I mean? It's like, the, but I feel like he'd be okay the other way around, considering Dick Jones is willing to have a lifeless machine kill random people at the hope of selling repair parts. Yes, yes. And you and you got in my way, and you're gonna have to go. Which even and you know, there's the whole confrontation oh, they have in the toilet, which is an interesting part. <laughs> the um, which on that note, how many movies and shows, by the way, have parodied this whole? That scene, like I think South Park's parodied it, parodied it like fifteen times. Oh, really? The oh. classic "go into the bathroom and then three people go out, one locks the door" kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you get you get the wide shot from behind the stall, seeing the feet, and your mates see yeah. like the, the feet come into the shot, and you're like, "Oh, there we go." It's also a really good way to introduce. Like, I I love how there nobody here is introduced in a slick manner. Like Dick Jones in this scene is literally introduced to the uh, as the as an antagonist by taking a shit. Like, <laughs> nobody here in the capitalist world is yeah. shown in any positive light. And I love that about yeah. Paul Verhoeven. Because, yeah. like I said, he is not nuanced with his criticism. And this is what happens when you get a far-left European filmmaker to come in <laughs> and do a fucking criticism of authoritarianism yeah. and capitalism. Yeah. And, like, it just, it was beautiful. And oh, you yeah. understand. You understand the world they're in literally in the first three minutes. Like they're oh, yeah. the opening scene, the the news are the news reporter will say, like, I'll give you the world in three minutes. If you actually pause the movie, it's three minutes in till it goes to the next scene. Yeah. Oh really? See, look, that at, that. Whole, look at that. That whole scene is three minutes long. <laughs> yeah. Well it's beautiful work by hiring the the blonde lady in it, Lisa Gibbons from Entertainment Tonight. Like it was perfect. You you you, you could um you know, and they're just so smiley and glitzy, and they're like the war in Acapulco. You're like, what? Like it's just fantastic civil war what outbreak. A, Acapulco. I love that whole. Uh, I love that whole mechanism they use in the movie of constantly cutting to commercials and news and all that because it also feeds yep. into a lot of what he's trying to say about the about how the media feeds violence, how violence feeds authoritarianism, how this feeds that. It's like you got yeah. halfway through when the Robo when Robocop when Murphy's been out on the streets for not even that much time. The very first thing Omnicorp's done is they've done. You know, kids getting photos with them and getting their autograph and having Robocop masks. And it's like, yeah, they're, they're right off the bat. Okay, what's the next thing we can do? We can take our, you know, our fucking killing machine of a person that we have outside, uh, that yeah. we have out on the streets, and we can now make extra money by Mickey Mouseifying him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just, there's no end to this. And when you actually think about the fact that Robocop itself starts, the movie starts as a satire and all this, only to later on become a freaking children's animated series in real life. <laughs> Oh yeah, and comic books. Yeah, that's right. And comic books and cereal oh, yeah. and toys yeah. and video games and yep. yep. Oh my god! Fun. It's... Two, two sequels, a TV show, and a remake. So actually, two animated kids series and two live action series. Wow! Two live action series. Wow! Yeah, they Way made a uh, they made a live action series and then they made a. Uh, live action miniseries of TV movies, which was labeled as a miniseries a number of years later, but that one took place in that one took place ten years after the original and ignores everything after Robocop one came out oh. of Sci Fi Channel back in two thousand one. Make of that as you will. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. I'm curious now. I have not yeah. heard of this one. Yeah. Um. And um. Yeah. I I feel I, I, like 
after rewatching RoboCop and being a comic book nerd, I was like, I see the influence of, I don't know if Frank Miller stole some of the ideas from the Dark Knight, because in the comic book, the Dark Knight, he's always got these news flashes giving you a quick update of and moving the story forward. And it's, I'm like, it's exactly like RoboCop. So I'm like, did well, Robo did Dark Miller Knight get Returns? It Dark Knight Returns from Frank Miller came out what 1988, 89? Because a little earlier, it's like 86 or 87. Because Frank so Miller, it, Frank Miller wrote RoboCop two. Yes, he wrote RoboCop two and three. Exactly. So I'm like, is I I, I, I assume I, Miller was totally influenced by RoboCop. I mean, I think yeah, I think he have to be like look at Batman Year One. That's right, right off the bat. That's very, uh, very Robocop. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, and and the um, well, just the similarities of the actual movie into the storyline, and you know, a person who's had enough and stuff like that. Not that Robocop's a revenge movie at all, kind of, but not really because he's like like, in the last little bit, and it's also the most justifiable revenge in the world. Yeah. And like I love the part too, like where Robocop oh, is he's after they yeah. he breaks into the warehouse where all the drug dealers are and he kills everybody. Yeah. And he but he saved Bodiger and he's throwing Clarence through every window, breaking down the uh, you have the right to remain silent. And uh, and uh you know, he's ch- choking him out and he's like, Okay, kill me, I'm O C B or O C B and then seeing the um the fire the within RoboCop come out because I love I love his look I love the helmet I love the, yeah. the, the silver and everything like that like I yeah, thought he was like, it just looks so great and the black gloves black and everything gloves. like that the, without the helmet you're like eh, you know it still looks cool but you know his face but and all the thing is, is that that's kind of that's kind of part of it though like the the moment you crack that visor and you see that eyeball behind there the facade's gone you're oh, reminded yeah. though that there's a human here there's a person behind totally. This. And that's, I mean, I, I like that it doesn't look as cool without the helmet and all that. Like, it's reminding yeah. you, this isn't cool for this guy. This is, they Frankensteined this person, essentially yes. zombified him. Like, good point. Yes. And the Frankenstein yes. parallels in this movie are pretty hardcore, too. Oh, for sure. And there's the, there's the moment, too, where he, he's just gone after Dick Jones. Dick Jones says, You can't kill me because I'm directive number four. And, you know, he sends an Ed 209 after him. So Robocop comes out and the whole police force starts entering emptying all their their uh shells on yeah Robo in the in the parking lot and you see there's a point where he falls down i don't know if it's there or if it's another point with ed tona but he gets shot and you see robocop's eye through you see paul well or oh, peter true. weller's that's eye. what i'm saying when the when the visor gets cracked right yeah when it's like smashed yeah exactly that's a it's such a beautiful shot there. too yeah and such a beautiful yeah. shot that feels so it feels so delicate in that shot. Just even the way that Paul Verhoeven shoots it, it has a little extra camera shake to it. There's yeah. a little extra emotion to it. There's a little more like like yeah, I was kind of uh I was kinda of like equate that scene to kind of like you know, you turned on the lights and you realize that or you, you suddenly realize it was a small child who was doing this the whole time or something like that. Yeah. In this case, you like I said, they've taken this man and taken everything about him as training, they turn him into a product and a weapon. Yes. Yeah, and they actually—I like that they actually end this on a happier kind of note, in that they treat him like a person at the end after yeah. he's shot Dick Jones out the window. Dick, you're fired. I used to have yeah. that on a T-shirt in high school. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. 
Um, but I like that they ask him his name, that the president yes. of the court, the actual president goes, what's your name, officer? And he's yes. he's yeah. able to say, my name is Murphy. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That is a and it just ends right there. Boom. I, 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 I Kayla, I completely agree. I love it, too. And, you know, it, he's done the full circle now. He's back. He's the guy again. He's it's interesting because in the end, the only real thing that he's like in the, in the grand scheme of things, the only real thing he's kind of gotten back is a hint of his own humanity. Exactly. But in the in yeah. the crux of this movie, that is such a victory sure. for this person at the end. Yeah, that it's oh, man, it's almost depressing that that's the victory. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's a start, right? You know, and and it also is um, um like um, the dream sequence. Where he's, he has the nightmare, quote unquote, right? Where he's having the flashbacks in yeah. in this in the chair. Oh, the two guys aren't looking at the monitors whatsoever. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> right, classic, classic. Two people on on duty who are just reading the newspaper and eating something. You literally not even are having this guy's nightmare projected to you, and you are having this handed to you, and you're doing yeah. nothing. <laughs> yeah, and you see, it's little things like that that remind me of the '80s film and television world that i appreciate so much because now today's day and era they they won't do it because they they know that the audience isn't that dumb and it's not that we're dumb but i just love the fact that they're like there's two of you literally sitting in front of four monitors but either of you aren't watching it like i love it and uh you know that's the beginning of the um who is this man well the frankenstein you know of the uh relationship to the uh, relation to the Frankenstein uh theory of like the man inside the, the machine so and uh I go up go Kayla even the baby food that they give him looks oh, like yeah. it's coming out of a butt it looks like they're literally <laughs> getting him to eat poop yeah. it is the most disgusting thing I've ever yeah. seen like that yeah. well apparently it tasted minty yeah. <laughs> well you'd have to right okay. and you know Watching that movie, and the, the three of us, especially you, Kayla, hearing the stories of what Peter Weller went through, um, you know, and like, like I, it, I, I relate to, I saw Chris Evans talking about shooting Civil War in Atlanta in the summertime, and just those people in those suits, like, they must, like, supposedly Peter Weller lost, like, two pounds a day in sweat, like, yeah. At least Kiss Evans is getting multi-million dollars to do this. I, I don't know what Peter Weller's contract was for RoboCop 1, but so the you act, feel for the, those people. Yeah. As as a technician, you stand back and go, God, this, you know, I love this, but that poor guy in that suit must have sucked. So, so they had they had seven of the RoboCop costumes made. I was, I was looking this up. Yeah. And there were different ones. One of them had to be fireproof. There were different levels of damage uh some of the influences they actually had they researched c-3po yeah. uh they also uh were influenced by the robot designs in metropolis and okay. the day the and the day the earth stood still in 1951 but yeah. like this robocop costume was 11 to 36 kilograms depending on which suit it was and oh, peter weller's crap. pretty skinny guy yeah so, yeah they actually... had they had an entire internal harness with hooks just oh, to allow him for sustained movement during the action-heavy scenes under that yeah. suit. Yeah, and I read, too, that he, you know, he was working with a choreographer oh, for months, and then they put the suit on. He's like, I can't do any of that stuff. Dude. Wow. <laughs> they wait so far. So he had to bring in the choreographer again just to work on that movement, which 
brings me back to that um yeah. that uh yeah. the cinemas we were talking about the lego and the yeah, fans yeah. making the scene the yeah. very end of that remake scene with the multiple penises being shot is it's literally like 10 seconds of robocop <laughs> trying to get into the car and he can't fit in he just <laughs> He's just like, he's just going up and down because he can't. Well, yeah, that, that, that's hilarious, that scene. Oh, I know. I, it, and it, yeah, another <laughs> another wonderful <laughs> RoboCop spawn moment. So I uh, do recommend watching. Remake? I didn't even see the remake. I, I was uh, like, the no. one with uh, the one with Joel Kinnaman. Yeah. Did you see it? I did see it. And I mean. <laughs> We're not here talking about that RoboCop. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you. I I, I, actually, if I'm being honest, I think the movie did have um, some very positive aspects to it. Yeah. Like, to put it simply, I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed RoboCop 3. Oh, and, I, yeah. Yeah, and I'm going to say that completely in earnest. I do think Joel Kinnaman did did uh, the most of what he could have with that. I think he yeah. was also a victim of a lot of rewrites, a lot of studio interference, um, uh, you know, I I think the cast is really solid. You know, you got a cast including people like the cast is actually shockingly stacked. You got like uh, Joel Kinnaman, uh, Michael Keaton, Jay Burschel, Gary Oldman. Like it's a pretty damn stacked cast. I yeah. thought the scene between the um, okay, so the, the the issues I had though was that the commentary wasn't there. It kind of made it more. It focused on more so on just being like a kind of a straightforward action film within that story. I found yeah okay. Um, and the final fight with the Ed 209, I cannot believe I was saying this, was too much. Oh, wow. Yeah? Too much. It yeah. was, uh, you know, they shot it at the Vancouver Convention Center. They're doing all that stuff. Then they smash, and they're outside the convention center, and they're going on the street, and he's shooting it around the street, and all this. And I'm just like, what I love about the one from this original Robocop is um, the fight is feels very... I have a thing about 80s movements I love. I love those clunky movements. I love the the idea yeah. that you can feel that this is an actual machine, even though in this particular case, it's stop motion. Yeah. Um, this is something I felt Guillermo del Toro did spectacularly well in the first Pacific Rim. Okay. Uh, yeah. As was factoring in the size and the movement when it comes to that sort of thing, yeah, giving the weight behind it. I felt like that the one in the movie from Paul Verhoeven, it felt very, it felt very fitting. And I also love the fact that when it got to the stairwell, that also shows exactly a flaw in the concept of the uh, of the Ed 209 right off the yeah. bat. This thing was never going to be able to protect the city, regardless if it ever goes crazy, this and that. This thing could never protect the city. You go up a thing of stairs and they're fucked. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and, and that was perfect. And it also shows the ingenuity of a police, of a proper human versus yeah. a machine. And these are little subtle things that Paul Verhoeven knows what he's doing. And certain yeah. filmmakers know what they're doing. And I, I give absolutely no blame to the director on this. I am guaranteeing this was a. Uh, studio interference yeah um but i just it felt like it felt like basically they're looking at this and saying like you know michael bayify it basically yeah i and... find that sorry uh no, you i go. find with i find with remakes of paula Verhoeven, i felt the same thing with the turtle recall remake like they didn't even yeah. go to mars and i was just like yeah. this is i i wanted a remake of that movie i love turtle recall it's one of my favorite movies oh it's so but it fantastic. was just it wasn't so what i was expecting in a remake i would have yeah. seen the remake of turtle recall if it was called something else and not advertising that yeah and you know how can you not love michael ironside love michael yeah. ironside and you see you know like my, the bad guy literally guy. wears a black leather jacket and black yeah. like he's so great yeah I love Ironside, yeah. and he tried to get Ironside in RoboCop, but he he didn't do it. But um, um, 
Total Recall in this household. My wife is a uh, makeup artist in film also, and it's a touchy subject because I'm old school. She is very new school because she Colin Farrell is number one on her list. So oh, no, I, I, I'm going to lose no. that battle so with you guys. <laughs> I'm going to lose the battle in the house, but with you guys, she, you know, she goes with the, she goes with the remake. Yes. Oh, and my hell. wife loves action movies. My wife, like last week, she's like, I want to watch time cop. I'm like, see, that's why I married you. I fucking love you woman. Oh. <laughs> I love time cop. Yeah. For the record, right? for the record, I'm not dumping on the remake as a movie people put a lot of effort into it and i'm always going to respect yeah. what people have done i genuinely liked it as its own thing i yeah. just didn't like that they sold it to me as turtle recall because it just felt yeah. like false advertising the other issue yeah. i tend to have with that sort of thing too is like and i'm not gonna be one of these people that says uh oh my god just make original movies remake something <laughs> bad i'm not gonna be one of those people because you yeah. know as we're talking about uh, as we're talking about Paul Verhoeven, we also need to recognize that both Total Recall and Starship Troopers were novel adaptations. Yeah. Um, okay. Yes. And yeah. they're both book adaptations. And so we're, yeah. I can't, you can't be saying anything about original. What I will say, though, when it comes to remakes about these sorts of things, there's certain movies and certain creators from certain eras that really uh, possess their own style and their own flair. Paul Verhoeven is kind of in the same Venn diagram as like John Carpenter, who's in the same yeah. Venn diagram as like uh maybe even 80s to palma but they all yeah. kind of fit their own niche and in the same way that you get a lot of remakes of these movies that were classics for one reason or another like uh the carrie remake i liked it but it didn't particularly do well total yeah. recall uh total recall you took away all the personality and the style from it you took it's like and what i feel understand is like there are movies from this era even classic movies even movies that are that you're know, classic that don't have these distinct styles that you're automatically gonna miss when watching it it'd be like yeah. if It'd be like if in 20 years you they decide to remake the Grand Budapest Hotel and you got yeah. some TV director to do it. It's like, well, then you don't have a remake. Like, what made that movie fantastic was Wes Anderson's touch to it. Or you, you know get, I mean? like, Zack Snyder to do it. Or it's yeah, a Zach pretty Snyder. city. Actually, of, like... actually, funnily enough, I'll even say, my opinions on Snyder, I think from everything I've heard, he's apparently an incredible person to work with, and I enjoy a lot of his movies. I do but like his style. What I'm I will say is that I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to go around and call myself a Snyder fan, but it's like, what I will say about him, though, is that he does have a style. And if you oh, are sure. even with him, if, yeah. let's say, Sucker Punch, okay, I'm, yeah. I'm not particularly big into the movie, but let's say 20 years from now, yeah, somebody says, well, God, I guess seven years from now, come to think of it, because that was 2010. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So seven years from now, somebody says, let's remake Sucker Punch. Okay, who do we get? Ah, uh, there's this guy who, who directed some episodes of uh, Marvel TV. We'll get him to do it. And it's just yeah. like, but then is that what sucker punch originally was and i'm not trying to be like altruistic here there's certain movies where remakes are absolutely good like taking a pelham one two three the originals are a classic but i don't i don't see anybody talking about the incredible visual style of that movie when the remake came out it was a solid remake you know what i mean right. there's there's i'm a big john carpenter fan but even so i'm not going to be biased on here the remakes of uh the remakes of uh assault on precinct 13 and the fog i personally think are solid remakes but yeah I don't know. That's just my mindset on that. Paul Verhoeven seems to be a victim a lot of a lot of these sorts of remakes where you're trying to redo something from an auteur director. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and, and you're uh, doing it in a way that you don't understand. They don't, a lot of people don't seem to ever understand the bigger nuances of these stories. And 
I don't know who the hell am I to say that. I'm a guy with a podcast right now trying to say that I apparently know these movies better than Len Weissman. <laughs> but it's, uh, you so, do, you know, though, maybe... You two, you're, you're very... You, both of you are very knowledgeable, and and, and uh, you do, you guys are both great encyclopedias of film knowledge, so... Oh, thank you. I feel you yeah. can back what you say, and, uh, and I agree completely, because, like... You know that's gonna that this this conversation gets into the whole can of worms of, of opens a can of worms of the, the studio wanting a profit over the art and you know and is that what it's turned into and thank God for like a twenty four and stuff like that who still have original films and stuff like that. There's and, actually a great resurgence of R rated comedies in theaters right now. Yes, and you know and like I'm fifty. I grew up loving eighties. 90s and by 2000 i and i still go to movies i still love movies but you know we've all three of us have seen the wave the, the ripple effect of change throughout hollywood style filming um uh ai you know cg everything like that and actually even one of your podcasts you guys were talking about the de-aging oh it's the tron episode you're talking about the de-aging of how it was eh, it should have been amazing but it was eh, I watched. I had to go see Harrison. I had to go see Indiana Jones. I had to. I I've, I've seen all five. I love the, the new theater. one personally. The, I yes. I liked it. Yeah. yeah, and I'm you know I was like Mad Mickelson. I will see Mad Mickelson do anything. And as a Nazi, perfect. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, the uh, but the CG of his face of the young hair of the young Indiana Jones like that sequence went on for so long, and it always drew me out of it because I was like. I get it. It's a big part of the scene. And, you know, God bless Toby Jones because he's fantastic and stuff like that. And, and he kept, for me, Toby Jones and Mads um, kept that whole train sequence, me sucked into it because I just, every time they showed Harrison Ford, I was like. I was actually pretty okay with his, uh, I was pretty happy with his de-aging in, in that one. I only found a few scenes where it really stuck out to me as mostly when they shined a light in his face. Um, yes. I, I was fine with that. But it is it is hard to think though. Watching that it is hard not to think to yourself, you know, what if this was something that you were watching, but they shot this exact scene in the eighties or something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I th- I feel like I feel like if that sequence was shot in nineteen eighties, age appropriate Harrison Ford, that would have been like one of the coolest sequences of Indiana Jones, right? <laughs> like I I right. thought it was fin- I thought it was a really cool thing altogether, altogether though. I liked. I liked the gag of progressively more Nazis in every character. Oh my god! <laughs> but the third car, I was laughing my ass off in the theater. Yeah, and but I mean, and, that was know, just like classic indie humor, man. Like that was yeah. awesome. With like a fifty cal gun just shooting the whole time by itself because <laughs> there's been debris in it. Like you're just like this is, this is great. And, um, but back to um, a, a couple steps back to I guess. Robocop in the new thing. I like Joel Kinnaman. I think he does a good job. I, he's a nice man. I did a season and a half of The Killing. I thought he was a pretty cool guy. I was uh, uh, I was a continuity background on The Killing for a while. I was in their uh, juvenile hall stuff. And uh, I just remember Joel, Joel Kinnaman just being a wonderful person on set. Yeah. He, and, you know, uh, um, uh, and uh, tough shoes to fill. When someone's like, oh, you're going to do a re-, like, remix? Yes, which we say, you know, those studios will throw it out. But Robocop's. Robocop is kind of, they say it's, it's considered a, is it not considered a cult classic? Like it's, 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 well, at least it's not, it's not, it's not a cult classic. It was a mainstream hit when it came out and over time it's been hailed as one of the greatest sci-fi movies of the eighties. I put that a little bit above cult classic. 
Yeah, I agree. And but but that's those are tough shoes to fill. They if are. They're like we're going to do a remake of Flashdance, or you know, uh, what's the Footloose, and it's, we've done it twice before. But you know what, Joel, you're going to do it again. I'd be like, sure, no problem. But they're like, we have no one. When you're round two of a remake, that's a lot of pressure, and it's something that has labels like that. That's it's a big shoes to fill. I wish that I I kind of want to see it again now, just because I want to see, I want to see more of the Joel outfit. Because wasn't it quite dark with like a red? It was star. actually. Uh, I think that was one of the cooler aspects of the movie was the outfit design. Yeah, uh, they they did a good job of trying to differentiate it completely from the old RoboCop costume and try to like make it its own thing. Uh, there was a little, there was a few bits about there, like they gave him a human hand still for one of his hands, which mainly happened oh. because in the remake movie he's not shot down by Clarence Bodiger. He's blood. He's killed in a car bomb. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Is Michael Keaton play Bodiger? I, I think he's he, Bodiger is not a character in the remake. They, but I think okay. he plays the Bodiger equivalent. Gotcha. And they uh, they do a decent job of uh, dubstep was really big at the time, unfortunately. But they do yeah. a uh, they did a really they did a decent job because they did a dubstep version of uh, Basil Polidorus's um, RoboCop theme. His soundtrack in this movie is infectious. I really want to get that on vinyl now. Oh, so much, so much it. metal. It's like hammers hitting metal the whole time. Ding ding dong do 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 do. Yeah ding. right. Yeah, with a healthy mix of stuff. synth. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, and well, even Robocop opening doors. It's like, like it's got it's it's like someone on a keyboard just going. You know what? Why don't we just hit this key for every time Robocop? The scene, the the scene particular where the guy is robbing the the uh, the convenience store, and there's the the older couple. And he's like, where's the safe? Where's the safe? And he goes, I know where the safe is. And then RoboCop comes in. Basically one of his first crimes. He goes out to save and he bends the guy's uh, muzzle and one shots him into a, a, a bunch of fridges full of beer. Like it's the sound effects in it and everything about it were just so fantastic. Because as a 14 year old kid, you love robots. Robots are the best. And we had, you know, I grew up with C3PO. But he was a protocol droid. He was a nice guy. I want killer crushing robots and RoboCop. You know, it's great. It definitely, it definitely delivered on that. And oh yeah, actually, one thing that I didn't mention before uh, when we were rewatching this, I've seen it many times, but rewatching it again uh, last week was just it was so cool seeing the almost the brutalism of the set designs, and I was like. This reminds yeah. me so much of Blade Runner. And then as I was yeah. doing research into this, I found out they, that they actually wanted the production designer for Blade Runner, yeah. but the producers told them they could afford the suit or the production designer. <laughs> <laughs> so they got yeah. a different guy, but you can see yeah. the influence. Oh, they made the sure. right call. <laughs> yeah. And you know, Blade Runner is a whole <laughs> other episode, guys, because, you know, there you go. I've been waiting for somebody to say it, to be honest. Yeah, it's coming, um, It's coming, man. Oh, it's and coming, I, but, uh, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, my uncle, uh, so, uh, so I've been in film 27 years. My brother got, uh, nepotism. My brother got me and my brother was a Dolly Grip slash Crane guy. My uncles got my brother and my uncles were both ADs and production managers. And one of my uncles, Kurt Woodsmith, and said, that guy from that Robocop guy. is the Robocop. nicest guy in the world. Honestly, yeah. most actors I've met who play villains are the biggest sweethearts. Right? right? Yeah. I I think they just get all of their aggression out. You can just get into this mustache twirling <laughs> role. Yeah. Before we close off here, I just want to point out, 
my position is what's called video playback and you two know what it is but most people who listen to this podcast don't so my job is video playback where it is uh covering all the monitors that are in front of the camera video graphic all that i just want to point out that uh the video playback operator for uh robocop did an incredible job throughout this movie better than i've seen for most playback uh in that era because you know you had these primary yeah you primarily had to use like 24 frame tech and i just want to point this out because i don't really have an opportunity often to point out how good the playback is and something it's one of those things where yeah. i just wanted to really say the playback in this incredible stuff oh yeah uh, and there's so much screen coverage like there's oh yeah you know like his playback while they're watching him and as they're testing him with the pens and stuff like that like playback that. and like then that. the screen shows up cool. and just like the monitor like, use alone of oh, every yeah. boardroom scene there and stuff like that yeah Agreed, Kevin. Yeah. Totally agreed. Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, I don't get the option to say that that often because. Uh, but this is just one of those things. I know people won't understand what I mean when I say that it's really good playback. But trust me when I say yeah. it is. It is pretty damn good. Yeah, I think as as all of us being technicians, we all when all watching a, a show of some yep. sort, we always we're there to enjoy the show, but we're also there to watch what our field and how our field is being used in that product and how well it's being used. So, exactly. So yeah. that's why I'm giving it up to for Peter J. Verando, Jeff Satlofer, and Richard Clark, the playback team from Robocop. Uh, Neil, thank yes. you so much for coming in today. Before we take off, is there anything that you'd like to say? Anything you'd like to put forward? Anything you're working on? Robocop 6 uh, in the uh, mind of Josh and Cam, but I don't think that's going to happen. But uh, I would love to produce and be part of a sci-fi fun shoot do you yourself ever want to do sci-fi kevin i have sci-fi ideas i have stuff i'm working on writing most of my scripts are science fiction or supernatural and i am working on writing some more realistic things so for anybody listening who is interested we have links to buy robocop on blu-ray dvd uh some robocop posters down in our description uh you can also look us up on martini window we are on rss we are on spotify follow us on spotify follow us on youtube follows everywhere thanks so much neil it was really good talking to you i love chatting to you about films we've had many conversations about films on set so it's nice to do one on a podcast oh thank you for going along it was amazing thank you for letting me be part of this experience 